0: This book here. Acts chapter three. There was a a man street preaching one time, preaching the gospel, and a heckler started to uh, interrupt him and yell things at him and insults. And one of the things he said was, "Preacher, you're dreaming," and uh, all the things that you're saying, you're dreaming. And a boy tugged on his sleeve and said, "Sir, that." is my daddy, and he used to come home drunk. He used to come and beat my mother, and he beat me. We used to go hungry. Now he's met Jesus, and he loves us, he cares for us, and our our lives have changed. So if he's dreaming, mister, don't wake him up. Uh, there's nothing like the changed life that comes from being a Christian. Amen? Uh, There's nothing as powerful for your witness. There's nothing that will impact uh, others more than a changed life. And tonight I want to look at a life that was changed in a great way. In Acts chapter 3 here, I want to read verses 1 through verse 10. The Bible says, Now Peter and John went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer, being the ninth hour. And a certain man lame from his mother's womb was carried, whom they laid daily at the temple at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. Who, seeing Peter and John about to go into the temple, asked in alms. And Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, Look on us. And he gave heed unto them, expecting to receive something of them. Then Peter said, Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have give I thee. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk." And he took him by the right hand and lifted him up, and immediately his feet and ankle bones received strength. And he leaping up stood and walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping and praising God. And all the people saw him walking and praising God. I want to preach tonight for a few moments here on A Cripple Dances in Church. A Cripple Dances in Church. Father, we pray that you would help us this evening as we look at this story and what a blessing it is you can change a life in a moment. I pray, Lord, you'd help us realize that for ourselves, too. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Uh, Looking first here at the man that uh, it talks about, we see Peter and John, the Bible says, went up together into the temple at the hour of prayer. Now, I think, first of all, that that is an interesting note that the Bible gives us there. Peter and John, As you read the Gospels, you can get the picture that Peter and John were very different people. Uh, In temperament, they were very different. Uh, By nature, they were very different. Peter was a doer. John was a dreamer. Peter was a motivator. John was a mystic. Peter had his feet on a rock. John had his head in the clouds most of the time. Uh, John... Uh, would outrun Peter to the tomb, but Peter would push past him and rush into the tomb. Uh, Peter would dash out of the tomb again, all in a tizzy, while John uh, would walk away thinking deeply over the uh, grave clothes and how they were laid out. Peter and John were absolute opposites. By nature, they might get on each other's nerves. Uh, You take two people that are Different as much as they were different, and you put them together and they might just uh, drive each other crazy. But this is, uh, even though they were different, it's not the first time that they worked in tandem together. Uh, Peter signaled John in John 13 to ask Jesus who the betrayer was. Uh, Both of them followed Jesus after the arrest. In fact, it was John that gained permission for Peter to get into the priest's courtyard in John 18. Both of them ran together at the resurrection morning, as was mentioned. And I love this because this is a great picture of the local church. You take different people with different personalities different backgrounds, different outlooks, and you throw them together in a local church, and uh, it's amazing that it works at all. Really, if you, you know, sometimes we kind of bemoan the fact of there being trouble in churches, and surely there will be as long as there's people, but uh, it is amazing that churches work at all. Uh, I'm the only one here, after all, that's completely normal, uh, except for you, of course, but uh, you know what I'm saying. We, we feel that we are normal. Everybody else is a little bit abnormal. But that, why do you think there's problems in local churches? It's the problems because there's people in them. If we had an empty building here, we would maybe have no problems. But as long as there's people, there's going to be problems. And so, uh, but praise the Lord that we can work together in a common cause for Christ. I heard about a man who was uh, on an island for many years by himself. And finally, after many years, he was rescued. And uh, as they were pulling out on the ship, he was looking back at the island he had spent so many years at. And uh, the captain of the ship came up with him and he, and he uh, was telling him about some of the things on the island. He said, see that building right there? He says, that uh, is the house that I lived in. And uh, said, "Oh, that's, he said, what's the building there? He said, well, that building there is, is the church that I go to. Of course, he's the only one on the island. But uh, he said, that's the church I go to. And he pointed to a third building. He said, what is that building? He says, that's the church I used to go to. Uh, you know, as long as there's people, there's going to be problems. Amen. Uh, but, uh, but praise the Lord. If we can take our eyes off of ourselves and put them on a common cause, then it's amazing what we can accomplish. Consider the snowflake. The snowflake alone cannot do that much. In fact, it can't really do any damage. But you take a whole bunch of snowflakes, who are all different, by the way, every snowflake is different, but you put them all together, and they can stop traffic, amen? Uh, they can't stop a Jeep, but they can stop typical traffic. And I'm glad that I don't serve alone, glad that we have co-laborers. I thank God for the co-laborers we have <coughs> here in this church, uh, and I can say Really, from the bottom of my heart, we're blessed at, at Bible Baptist Church. We have a great group of deacons at Bible Baptist Church who love the Lord and want to do uh, the right thing. We have good teachers here. We have good servant-hearted uh, people that get involved and help the church to run. We have amazing pastors, amen, uh, one of them at least, Pastor Forsberg. Uh, but when we work together here on earth, hey, we're practicing for heaven, amen, we're going to be working together there, and so it's good to get some practice here. But anyway, the Bible says, now Peter and John went up together into the temple. They had been disciples of Jesus together. Now they were both part of the body known as the church. They had uh, been, uh, they had enjoyed friendship. Now they can enjoy fellowship. It was 3 o'clock in the afternoon, the Bible tells, records for us here, at the time of prayer. Now there was a little bit of a different uh, custom at that time. Uh, but it is good for us to have times for prayer, isn't it? Uh, It doesn't matter exactly what time it is, but it is good for us to schedule that in our lives and make sure that we have daily time, daily routines in which we have our prayer time. Uh, Looking at the man's defect, though, they met a man here at the temple. He had been crippled. Uh, He was lame, the Bible tells us. This had been a problem for him his entire life. From the very first moment when he was born, and the midwife said, it's a boy, but there's something wrong with his legs. The Bible says from birth, uh, he was lame. And so he could not stand. He had never learned to walk. Uh, this would have affected him tremendously as a boy. He couldn't run uh, and play with the other children. He couldn't go out for sports. He had to be carried everywhere he went. That means that in this man's life, there's not one day that he's lived on this earth that he wasn't a burden to somebody. That's the life that he lived. He couldn't walk, so he couldn't work. All he could do is to go where people were and beg, hoping that people would have sympathy for him to give him enough just to subsist on. Imagine the life that he led. Uh, He had a dependence. Not only did he have a defect, but he was very dependent. Look at verse 2, "...whom they laid daily at the gate of the temple, which is called Beautiful, to ask alms of them that entered into the temple." Now, if you had to beg, what better place than to do it at the house of God? Amen? Not, not necessarily a Baptist church. We know how tight they are, but, uh, most churches maybe. Uh, where he laid in front of the house of God there, and that's where he would beg. It was a place of beauty. He was placed here on the steps uh, where the Jews passed from the court of the Gentiles into the court of women. It was here that there was a famous barrier that was built known as the middle wall of partition. On this wall, there was an announcement, both written in Greek and in Latin, and it was very clear warning to all Gentiles they could not pass beyond this point at the threat of death. And nine gates... We're in this wall. One of them is a gate that's called Beautiful, and that's where this man was set. Uh, From his spot, he could marvel at the beauty of the gate. It was made from Corinthian bronze. It was uh, beautifully decorated. It was actually, they say, more valuable than if it was made uh, and plated with gold and silver because of its intricacies there. So he could also look at the temple. Herod had turned this temple into one of the great wonders of the world. He could probably not have found a better place uh, to sit there and beg people that would go in and out of the temple there uh, would be at the time that they felt spiritual and so they may be inclined to help this poor man. He sat there, the Bible says to ask alms of them that entered into the temple. now uh, it's interesting he's pretty smart when it comes to begging he he is begging from those going in, not from those coming out says specifically. I don't know, but maybe if you're going in, you might want to kind of chalk up some good deeds before you go into church so you give a, some money to the poor. I don't know exactly the reason, but uh, that's what he was doing here. Uh, he had a desire, seeking, seeing Peter and John going into the temple, asked an alms. Now, how long has he been at the temple? We can assume for years. Has he ever seen the disciples before? Maybe at some point Judas has dropped uh money into his hand. Wonder if he's ever seen Jesus before, Uh, why Jesus didn't heal him before. Now, he's been a beggar for a long time. But here's what we have to understand about someone who is in extreme poverty. Your thoughts are not lifted higher than your immediate need. So here come the apostles, and they were the focus of all the talk around town, You remember what had just happened? They had the great day at Pentecost there. Peter stood up and preached, and 3,000 people joined the church that day. Uh, They were leaders of a great revival that was sweeping the town. Thousands have joined their church, and uh, thousands more were joining as time went on, but none of that mattered to this beggar. All he wanted was something with which to buy food and subsistence there. He was crippled, so he could not work. Life had cheated him, and if he didn't get a little money today, he probably wouldn't be able to eat that same day. So his whole life, this is all it is, is life as uh, him sitting there with an outstretched hand hoping that uh, somebody would give him a handout. Now, I would say that there are still people today that look at the church more as a a place to get a handout than to get spiritual help. But that's currently all he was concerned about because that need was consuming him. We see him looking. The Bible says in Peter, fastening his eyes upon him with John, said, look on us. When he did look, he would see two men who certainly were not rich. They were no longer the businessmen that they used to be. Worst of all, they were preachers. I'm trying to make clear they had no money. Amen. Uh, you know how I know they were Baptist preachers? Because the Bible says silver and gold, have I none? Amen. That's how we know uh, what they were. But uh, they didn't have any money, but they had something else. They had Jesus Christ, and they were filled with the Holy Spirit. Now, Peter and John wanted for this man what they wanted for everyone they met. They wanted him to come to Jesus Christ. They would want to make an impact in his eternity. But think about this, the position of this poor man's life here. He was lame. It was a condition he could do absolutely nothing about. He was 100% dependent on those that carried him about. He is a great picture of our condition, spiritually speaking. We are born lame, spiritually speaking. We have nothing to offer God. We can do nothing about our condition. The best person in the world without Christ is a hopeless spiritual cripple. The most wealthy person in the world is without Christ nothing but a hopeless beggar. Uh, This man was plagued with this condition from the day of his birth. It is exactly the situation, spiritually speaking, of every uh, sinner, every person born as well. We have a sin condition that we have uh, from birth. Uh, We get it from uh, our father, who got it from his father, who got it from his father. The Bible says, Wherefore, by one man sin entered into the world, and so death by sin, so death passed upon all men, for that all have sinned. By the way, we're talking about uh, it, it's Christmas time now, and we uh, celebrate the fact of Jesus' birth. You know, it's very important for us to hold strong to the doctrine of the virgin birth of Christ. And one of the reasons that's such an important doctrine is is because sin passes down uh, from man to man to man to man. If Jesus had a father, earthly father, he'd have had a sin nature. You have a sin nature? Yes, that's right. You can blame your dad. You can call him tonight and tell him it's all his fault. Uh, and uh, But your sin nature comes from your father. Jesus did not have an earthly father, therefore he had no sin nature. Uh, Romans 5, 12 does not uh, apply to him, but that's, a, that's an important thing for us to realize. But uh, he... He uh, is laying here at the beautiful a gate called beautiful, right at the uh, outside the gate of a dead religion. It is a religion full of laws and codes and a, all kinds of claims of justice. But here's the deal with this religion: it could do nothing about his condition. This man went to this temple. Uh, he was a cripple when he came to the religious place, you know he was a cripple when he left every day of his life. He was waiting for someone to help him, probably scanning for people's eyes to make eye contact. You ever see those uh, beggars sometimes on the street corner or uh, they're waiting and, and what they're looking for is eye contact. They're looking for somebody who make, uh, so that they might uh, try to make a connection there. And I'm sure that's what he was doing. Uh, but Religion could do nothing for him. Can I tell you today, friend, religion still can do nothing for your spiritual condition. You'll be spiritually a cripple when you enter the religion and a cripple when you leave it. It can do nothing for your spiritual condition. Peter here tells him, look on us. I think that's an interesting wording there. wonder if we have the courage to tell lost people around us, look on us. wonder what people see when they... Look on us. We have the confidence spiritually to tell people to look on us. I'm not talking about building ourselves up, but having the right kind of testimony. So we see him looking. Then we see him listening. The Bible says here, and he gave heed to them, verse 5, expecting to receive something of them. They noticed him. They spoke to him. Surely they would give him something. There's going to be soup in the bowl tonight. But then those words that he did, Hated to hear, silver and gold have I none. Uh, the man wanted money, but what he really needed was not money. What he needed was a miracle. Though Peter had no money, he could provide the miracle. What a difference in our churches today. There's a story about Thomas Aquinas, who visited Pope Innocent the Second. Found him ca- counting a large sum of money. And the Pope said, Ah, oh, Thomas, the church can no longer say, Silver and gold have I none. And Thomas Aquinas answered and said, That is true, your holiness, but neither can it say arise and walk. What we've done in many of our churches is we have traded the best for the good. It's a tragic thing when we are able to do more social good than we are to do than we are spiritual good. Now, it's nice for us to help people when they need help, but we are here for the souls of men. We're not here to help uh, somebody have a sandwich, although we can do that once in a while, but we're here for the souls of men. Peter was poor, uh, monetarily speaking, but he was rich in God's power. So he said, silver and gold have I none, but he didn't stop there. He says, such as I have, I give thee. And he did. In the name of Christ, Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise up and walk. First, uh, Peter said, look on us. Now he redirects the man's attention to the Lord Jesus Christ. He offers him new life in Christ. He never had to beg again. Now I wonder what the beggar thought when he heard the words Jesus Christ of Nazareth. Now, of course, he would have heard of Jesus. All of Jerusalem has heard of Jesus. Some said he was a blasphemer. Uh, He was crucified, after all, not long before this. The uh, uh, news network, GNN, that's Galilean News Network, uh, they had uh, put a big story out how the body was stolen by his crazy followers. Uh, They were fake news even back then. Uh, But this is what, uh, people had all kinds of stories of what happened uh, to uh, Jesus, and he had heard all kinds of things. But uh, Now Peter is saying, in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, Rise up and walk. He probably hesitates. Nobody's ever talked to him like this before. He'd heard people talking about Jesus. Everybody had an opinion. But Peter's asking him to put his faith in Jesus. He's asking him to actually believe that Jesus could, could what, heal him? And then Peter is holding out his hand to encourage him. Look at what he says, verse 7. This is where we see him leaping. He took him by the right hand and lifted him up. Immediately, his feet and ankle bones received strength. And leaping up, he walked and entered with them into the temple, walking and leaping. Now, this was not one of those situations where you give him a couple of pills, take these and call me in the morning. Uh, This was immediate. This was uh, healing, miraculous healing. The Bible says that his, that, uh, his ankles and his legs, they immediately received strength. Uh, This was an instant remedy. The man was leaping. He was jumping. Never had he done this before. He no longer has to be a beggar. He's now free from his condition. I praise the Lord that when we come to Christ, it's not a process. It's not a list of things that we have to accomplish. Salvation is immediate. We come to the Lord Jesus Christ and we are lost. And when we come to him, We are saved. He gives us the power to be called the sons of God. What a blessing that is. Where will this man go first? Now he's free of the cot. He doesn't have to be carried anymore. All of Jerusalem is now available to him. Where is he going to go first? He could go home. He could visit relatives. He could find the longest set of stairs in town. Run up the stairs and do the Rocky Balboa on top of the stairs. He could do anything he wanted. But look at what the Bible says happens to him here. He went to church with the believers that he had just met. He went with the only Christians he knew into the temple, a place of prayer and worship. Hey, I think that's a good thing for any Christian to do, isn't it? Anybody that comes to Christ. If Jesus has forgiven us, he has healed us from our lost condition, We ought to want to go to his house and be around his people. I tell you, I cannot ever figure this out. Why would a blood-bought child of God not want to go to church? I don't get it. I never have. You know, people that really love God, you don't have to talk them into going to church. You don't have to beg them. You don't have to bribe them with a hot dog. I mean, they'll go to church because they love the Lord. They love God's people. And this is where we see him. Uh, we see him leaping. And then verse 7, also in praising God, we don't see him leaping, but laughing. I love this. And uh, the fact that he is uh, not praising Peter, by the way, he's praising God. Now, of course, he would be grateful to Peter, but Peter made it really clear where the healing came from. Different than a lot of TV preachers you see today, isn't it? (coughs) Put all the praise uh, to the Lord Jesus Christ. So he praised God. That's the man. Now let's look at the multitude. Look at verse number nine. Uh, Look at verse number nine here. The Bible says, and all the people saw him walking and praising God. (coughs) They knew this man. In fact, they probably ignored him on a daily basis. Remember the story of the Good Samaritan, uh, the guy that was beat up in the ditch? Who walked by him? The priest? The Levite? So these guys probably were used to ignoring this man, but they knew who he was. They knew his depravity. They especially knew his disabilities. always laying outside. Now here he is dancing around in the church house, showing the miracle that had been performed in his life. No wonder the Bible says they were filled. Look at verse 10. They knew that it was he which sat for alms at beautiful gate in the temple, and they were filled with wonder and amazement. Do you think? I mean, imagine the response this would uh, garner from people. Uh, the, the world, by the way, is always bewildered when they see a new life in Christ, when they see what change God can instill in a saved person. Uh, you take a man who used to go to bars, used to party, used to drink, and used to uh, go around doing things he shouldn't do, going uh, to gambling and all those different things. And suddenly everything's changed when he comes to Lord Jesus Christ. Now he doesn't go to the bars, he goes to the church. And uh, that, that always is a little bewildering to the world. Usually they determine something is wrong with him. That's what usually the, the, the explanation I've gotten. But not only their astonishment, but look at their assembly here. And as the lame man, which was healed, held Peter and John, all the people ran together unto them in the porch, which is called Solomon's, Greatly wondering. Now, the Prayer meeting's over here. Peter and John and the healed men came out of the temple back through the beautiful gate. The healed man is literally hanging on to them. By the way, good for him. He's doing a very wise thing here, spending time with God's people after the miracle has been done in his life. This is what new believers always ought to do anyway. I wonder as they walked through the gate again going out, if his eyes didn't kind of rest back to his old cot where he had been laying for so many days. Now, imagine with me, if you would, if this man would say, okay, Peter, thanks. Thanks for everything you've done, but I'm going to go back to my old life now. This is all I know, begging. I'll go back and lay on my cot again and start asking for alms. We'd say that's the craziest thing that he could ever think about doing, and it is. Why? Because his life's been changed. He's a new man. Now, he doesn't have to lay down there uh, anymore and ask for alms. But can I tell you, as a Christian, when we are pulled from the miry clay onto the solid rock, only a fool would go back again. And yet, how many times do we see that very thing? Christians going back to their old life. It's a foolish, foolish thing to do. We ought to uh, have new desires. In fact, the Bible tells us we're a new creature when we get saved we ought to have different desires uh, than we had before we came to Christ the healed man drew a crowd can I tell you tonight there's nothing like a changed life to draw a crowd to make an impact this healed man might not have been able to preach in fact uh, in a minute he's going to turn over the preaching part to Peter and let Peter preach and we're going to get into Peter's message next week Uh, but here uh he drew this crowd he had an impact because of his changed life listen in the same way friend you can have an impact too through the testimony that you have with your testimony you can impact someone for the lord jesus christ as the greatest te- the greatest witness we have is a personal testimony that's how they sell complete junk on television at 1 in the morning you ever sat up late and watched infomercials? Uh, it can be the it can be the most worthless product in the world. You got smiling people all excited about what are they doing? Giving testimony of how good it works. Oh, this works so well! I put this piece of tape around my finger and now I got washboard abs. It's wonderful. And they give great testimony about how wonderful. And then they go to the next person and the next person and the next person and the next person. Testimony after testimony after testimony. And guess what happens after a while? Some people are sitting at home, pull out the credit card and the phone, and they call and order the piece of junk. Testimony is a powerful thing. We're not selling a piece of junk, though. We've got the Word of God who's made a tremendous change and impact in our life. Let's use our testimony to affect other people for the Lord Jesus Christ. With your own testimony, your changed life, and your victories, you can make an impact. Never fall into the trap of thinking, well, I'm not the preacher, so I can't do too much for God there. Your testimony can affect many with the gospel of Jesus Christ. It was a testimony of a man who did not go to church. He was, uh, he was actually pretty warped in his theology. But with his testimony, he led my dad to Christ, who led six other men to Christ, who led their families to Christ, who now we're into the third generation. We've got, we've got missionaries and pastors literally all over the world, Cambodia, Brazil, uh, Belarus, Russia, all over the world from these, six, uh, these seven families. One man's testimony. a testimony would be a powerful thing. You don't know what you could put in motion Given your testimony and witnessing to somebody, this man drew a, drew, drew a crowd. Uh, of course, it was a pretty dramatic thing what happened to him. But really, what happened to you spiritually is a pretty dramatic thing too. Don't be afraid to share it. Uh, when the crowd was gathered, the one who was called to preach, Peter, uh, took over, and we're going to get into his message next week. But for the for the challenge tonight, I'd like to challenge: if you're here tonight, and you don't know for sure. That you're a child of God, don't leave without settling that this evening. And then, as a Christian, what are we doing? Uh, Can we, like Peter and John, work together for a common cause? Can we, like the man, use our testimony to impact many people around us? Uh, Let's be faithful to the Lord in that. Let's have every head bowed, every eye closed. My pianist, come forward.